Hello and welcome to Design Unmuted, a podcast that centers marginalized voices in design, art, and all things creative. I am your host, Divine, a landscape designer and social critic. Hi, Ashley, and Hi. welcome to Design Unmuted. I'm so excited to have you here. And I will give a short intro of who you are, but then invite you to introduce yourself to the audience. Uh, Ashley is an artist and educator who works at the intersection of Afrofuturism, social justice and speculative design. And her practice explores black cultures of the past, present and future through computational and analog mediums, including network devices, machine learning, data weaving, slime mold, fragmented cultures and live performance. And in 2016, she was one of the top black women to watch in Canada. So I'm so glad to have you here. Very impressed by everything that you do. Um, Welcome. And uh, is there anything you would like to add? Yeah, I mean, thank you for that introduction. Um, Yeah, you know, a lot of my practice is just imagining black futures from a perspective that hopes to bring with it like a multi-species survival. Um, so the idea of uh, like tapping into Black history, into the kinds of practices that used to occupy so many cultures that um, define themselves as Black. Our ancestry is full of botanists, it's full of like scientists, it's full of people mm-hmm. who knew about the stars. And so those kinds of things are really exciting to me and um, really exciting in ways that Um, make me curious about the other worlds around us. Like what kinds of patterns in the microbial world could we look to, to get inspired um, and think of our like patterns of human behavior in more equitable ways and more um, supportive ways of mutual aid. Um, So all of the things that you read, those are things that I care about. And um, I also, uh, yeah, just tie together interactive technology and science um, and if anybody's curious about getting like a recent snapshot of my work, um, Google followed me around for five days with a mm-hmm. camera. There's a video out there on YouTube. If you go to Google's channel or if you look up Black Women Tech Makers, Ashley Jane Lewis, you'll find um, some of the social justice work that I'm doing around interactive art and slime mold. And um, yeah, that I think paints a really good picture of the kinds of things that I'm working on right now. But I'm really excited to be here talking to you. Yes, thank you for being here. I'd like to kind of like take you back a little bit and because uh, you work with slime mold and when I first heard it, I was like, wow, this is really interesting. I've never really uh, heard of anyone work with slime mold and bring that at the intersection of like kind of societal issues. And I would love to know, how did you get into it? Yeah, it's a good question. (laughs) I mean, so from a couple of different directions. So there were a few things happening simultaneously for me, maybe eight or nine years ago. Mm -hmm. So I was working as a, a new media artist and teaching like arts and technology. So I was working on like code driven interactive art. Um, And that was like one category of work. In another category of work, I was really invested in Afrofuturism. So I was reading Octavia Butler's work. She's like, Mm -hmm. as you know, Divine, like one of the most well-known Black queer feminist science fiction writers. A lot of people um, acknowledge her as like one of the original um, individuals who like burst that industry open for Black people to be science fiction writers. So I was reading her work and I was really studying it and I was like really feeling like, 
this is a direction, like imagining Black cultures and Black futures was a really important direction I was hoping to take my work. Mm-hmm. And then the other separate thing, so all, those two things were separate. And then the third separate thing is that I was so stressed out at work that I was taking night courses at a baker's college to like decompress because I really liked <laughs> and, like, working with food. Um, and I, I had... Um, taken so many classes that the college called me and were like, oh, just letting you know, you're only a couple courses away from getting your like, like your certificate in like professional baking if you wanted it. And I was like, oh, I didn't realize I had taken so many. So right. I was the courses that were left over to take and the ones that were left over were all fermentation classes. So mm-hmm. looking at like pickles and sauerkraut and kimchi. Anyway, so I started taking those and became super interested in all of the science behind the microbial activity inside of sourdough, inside of like um, all of these fermented systems. And so these three things were happening all separately. And then I took this one class (laughs) where I feel like it all got smashed together. So there was this class at InterAccess. Um, It was just like an afternoon class. InterAccess Mm -hmm. is one of North America's oldest new media art galleries. I had some friends who were working there. A couple friends and I were like hoping to get a grant there. So we were trying to like show up a little bit and be like, hello, this is who we are. Um, And then uh, this class like advertised an opportunity to learn how, to learn about how you combine like a science practice and an art practice. And I was feeling Mm -hmm. really like sciencey for my food classes. And so I was like, oh, I wonder what this would be like. Anyways, it ended up being a slime mold class, which is something I like really had not much context for before. And so the teacher had us go around and introduce ourselves. And I just happened in the introduction to say, oh yeah, like I'm really interested in like things you look at under a microscope. And separately from this, I'm reading a lot of Octavia Butler, but it's not really relevant here. And that teacher was like, actually it is super relevant. Let me send you this article. And out of her Mm -hmm. backpack, she like pulls this book. And this book has this article in it about how Octavia Butler's writing was inspired by science and slime mold. So she had petri dishes of slime mold. She was like a a scientist. This is like a lesser known history of Octavia Butler, Mm. but um, to think that all of her work, especially for Xenogenesis, sometimes it's called Lilith's Brood, um, especially for that book, which is one of her most well-known, to think that the characters in that book were inspired by the things she was looking at under the microscope, it felt really synergistic to me. And Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, here's like, a person of the past, um, she had passed away by this point, here's a person of the past who's just taking, unapologetically taking all the things she cares about and just like crushing them together. And so it was really inspiring. And so then I started working with slime mold in Afrofuturistic ways. I started thinking about slime mold. Um, the The reason why it was so easy for me to get into slime mold was because of all the microbial knowledge I'd gained at Baker's class and baking college. It was like the same information, like how you tend to these microbial cultures is like exactly the same as the way that we were thinking about the microbial activity in sourdough cultures and in sauerkraut and Mm -hmm. like making ginger beer. So it all just Mm -hmm. kind of like melded together in that moment for me. So kind of a weird way to come into working with slime mold through the act of food because you like do not eat slime mold. Right. (laughs) But but it sort of just shows how much of the universe is kind of overlapped, you know? A hundred percent. And like the combination of all those passions and bringing together something magical. I, I really love it. And so can you, like I, 
kind of know what slime mold is, but like I don't actually think I fully grasp it, especially after yeah. um, being introduced to your work. I was like, there's so much more to it. Yeah, yeah. Slime mold is uh, a really special organism. So some folks might have heard about mycelium, which is like the root network mm -hmm. of a mushroom. These are often talked about in combination together because they're both decomposers of the like forest and natural world. So um, jury's out. The internet and research is like, slime mold came first. No, mycelium came first. <laughs> There's really so much debate, but it's well known that both of them are extremely old species on the planet, like some right. of the earliest species to show up. As we know, because like decomposers were some of the earliest ones to show up on the planet, right? And so um, slime mold uh, is this, I think like really interesting decomposer because it doesn't fit squarely on the animal kingdom, even though it's named slime mold. It's not actually a mold and it's not a fungus. And mm. um, it's had all of these histories of like peaks and valleys of funding, which have like made declarations about what it is. And then date like years later had those declarations be false. So it's kind of, it has a little bit of like a little bit of mystery around it in a lot of ways. Um, the other reason why it's so interesting to me is that it is like neon yellow. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah like this bright web-like structure that um, you usually find on the other underside of logs or like under piles of leaves because it's eating the like carbon matter that's decomposing in the forest. Mm -hmm. And so unlike mycelium, which is like under the ground, you can really come across slime mold. Maybe people have and felt like, like shocked about it because it's so bright. Um, but one of the fun things about it that is really meaningful to technologists and to artists is all of the ways that it mimics some of the things that we have a lot of trouble figuring out. So um, mm. slime mold is really popular as an object of study inside of science labs because it has a extremely efficient way of navigating for food, which means that if you put it in like a um, like a maze and you put uh, little uh, oat flakes, it's one of the like highest concentrations of carbon for working with slime mold in a lab. If you put mm -hmm. it in a maze and you put oat flakes in and you time it, it will always find the most efficient pattern of navigating to that food, which means that scientists have used it to test mm -hmm. their algorithms for artificial intelligence to see if the way that their algorithms are coded are as efficient as this natural because they're comparable. Their speed and the intelligence wow. is very comparable. Yeah, and in Japan, um, uh, for the bus systems and the train systems, there have been many science experiments that have tested the efficiency of these um, transport systems, transportation systems, by creating a map um, with oat flakes at all of the major hubs and then slime mold in the middle where the major train station is and then seeing how fast that slime mold moves and seeing what path it takes and making sure that that's the same path that the roadways or the trainways are taking. And so there's a lot of like overlap between like this intelligence and the intelligence right. of technology. And then from a creative social perspective, a lot of artists, especially black artists are really into it because it has all of these properties of social behavior that are really enviable. So for instance, um, it has uh, what could be attributed to like a desire for mutual aid. So for instance, mm -hmm. the, the web as it like navigates out to find food, you in almost all species, like the cells, especially at the microbial level, the cells that 
um, reach the food the fastest are the cells that eat, right? To continue strengthening this sort of like survival of the fittest mentality. Mm -hmm. But in slime mold, the cells that reach the food the fastest actually don't eat first. That nutrients is shipped down the web to the <gasps> cells that are the weakest. And so a lot of black people are like, this is like mutual aid. This is like how my community helps and supports each other. Right. And so like, and then there's like all sorts of great queer theory coming out of it too, because slime mold has hundreds of expressions of sexuality, which is also really special and unique. Um, it doesn't have a centralized brain, but it retains memory over cell generation and generation. So a lot of like um, black people who are artists are talking about the ways that black culture also has this way of like inheriting knowledge and not necessarily because of safety's sake, having like places where all of that strategy for survival is written down. And so, right. yeah, so there's a lot of really interesting properties about slime mold beyond its whole capacity to just be an efficient decomposer in the forest. Right. You know? Yeah. That is amazing. I never, I never knew all of this. It's now I'm like, I need to get into this thing. <laughs> yeah. I need to like learn everything yeah. about it. Yeah. And it's it's really amazing cool. how it's like one of those like very like uh, origin story type of material that yeah. is now being used to inform what we're talking about with technology and projecting into the right. future. Right. Yeah, that is that part is really interesting because you know, it, it it's it, we're in a weird place right now where yeah, we are drawing upon some of the like as you're saying origin story um biological structures to inform how we interact now and the future because mycelium for instance, there's so many people talking about the uh, the relate the comparative relationship between mycelial networks and what the internet looks like that's like you know opportunity to send mm -hmm. information back and forth and then you know slime mold and its relationship to ai and testing machine learning properties or testing efficiency it's really interesting and i wonder i wonder what life would have looked like if we had been drawing on these organisms from the very beginning of our Yes. of our consideration for technological design. I mean, now, now it's like we're, we're, we're using them as references to make everything like faster, stronger, more efficient, but um, you know, we're not drawing upon them as references for how to make things more equitable or how to make things right. more like, mutually shared or how to make things more, you know, peaceful or collaborative, right? We're using them as an as a reference of like faster, stronger, like very capitalist structures. So yeah. I often wonder like what would life, ha what would technology or systems have looked like if we were looking at it from like a holistic perspective from the beginning, you know? Yeah, maybe that's what we can kind of like, uh, explore in this discussion. Yeah. Because you do a lot of like um, teaching in tech and yeah. empowering black youth yeah. with like technology. And then, then I'm wondering if the technological spaces, the digital spaces were truly reflective of that um, communal way that slime mold functions. Yeah. How do you think tech spaces would be different and like it can be just completely random like from like super detail yeah. um, vision to like big vision I'd love to kind of like just yeah yeah and I would be so bit. curious I'd be curious about what you think too because all of this is just like hypothesis right like um one of the things that I really like from Octavia Butler's work um because she is an interesting example she writes about technology 
sometimes as if it was influenced by all of these biological creatures, right? Mm-hmm. And so um, I feel like what would be at least one shift is perhaps our material property. Because mm-hmm. if we were, if, if technology were really looking at the biological world as inspiration, I feel like it would also hopefully perhaps have some kind of like additional level of respect for the biological world. So perhaps we would be like spending our entire time like mining metals and crystals and materials from the earth to create mm-hmm. technology. And so I wonder if our technology would have like other properties. Like I wonder if it would be like more gelatinous you know I wonder if it would be like softer like physically not just like hard metals and sharp lines but if it would be like of a material property that's different as well you know Um, because a lot of these systems are also representing like ways of sending electrical and chemical signals across slimy surfaces if you will right (laughs) yeah you know, so I wonder if that would change too, if, if we had inspired it from, and Octavia Butler, when she talks about technology and Genesis, it is sometimes like soft and slimy and pheromone based rather than like wires and um, electrical currents. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That would have been like a completely different thing. Like actually tapping into the synergies that we have as like living things. Yeah. And like, I really liked when you talked about the decentralized system of storing information. And I'm wondering how, if we'd adopted like the slime mold way of being into the way we adopt technology, how that decentralized could have actually enriched how we use technology. Yeah. And like, you also talked about like multi-species survival yeah. And like, I think to me, one of the, like, I think the biggest disappointment to me in technology is how it's like so human centered in the sense that like even our ability to kind of like grasp the world around us is so limited. And it's like, we've also kind of like stayed in that limit. And yeah. it's like, I would love to see, maybe experience the world from like, a, I don't know, um, like a warm perspective and like what yeah. like the sensory the sensories of that and maybe by like being able to experience that we can like design better yes I couldn't agree more. Yeah, and I think, and also empathize better, right? Like, we're yeah. very good at empathizing within our own species. percent <laughs> You know, and, and technology is really bad at helping us empathize within our own species. I mean, you've probably seen, just as I have, these, like, horrible, like, I'm wearing a VR headset and now I'm like, I'm embodying like an Asian person's identity and the, all of the stereotypes that come with these kinds of like, just like sterile, like stereotype driven, like encouragements for empathy, but the kind of empathy that you're talking about, the kind of like opportunity to see things from a different perspective is like really interesting. And it's a shame that technology hasn't gone that way because you're right. It would be interesting to see the world or to experience part of the world from like, you said the worm's perspective or some other perspective, because how else, if, if it's not through empathy, like how else are we driving ourselves towards a future that cares and brings with it all of these other species, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there's a whole bunch of work out there um, looking at ways of communication using technology too. Like how can we use uh, like um, artificial intelligence to maybe find some kind of patterns in language for the ways that like whales speak or Mm. like 
even at E. coli move and like trying to find some common language to build up more empathy for that space. But yeah, yeah if, if, tef- if technology had gone that direction first, I think, I think it would have been very, in- I wonder what problems we would have come up with because nothing would have been, nothing is ever perfect, but it would have yeah. been a lot more interesting, you know, to see beyond our individual selves. Totally. I wonder if we wouldn't have gone so fast and so deep into kind of like technology equating kind of like gadgets and um, toys, right? Because like when you look at even slime mold, like it teaches you so much. Yeah. And it's so, uh, I don't want to say basic, but it's so pure in its... Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of basic principles that it operates by, right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so like, I wonder if like that would have like, given us more simplicity, but more depth to like the meaning of like strengthening our relationships. Yeah. Um, especially like when you say like, when like it branches out and like the way it feeds itself isn't to like, to feed them like- The strong cells. The strong cells first, but like to send it back. Yeah. And it's like, it's based on giving and like nurturing like exactly. the the weakest- members of that system exactly exactly yeah I, I i agree and i love the way that you put it it's not about like we might have had less gadgets but we wouldn't have had more depth i really like the way that you put that because i think you're right because one of the funny things about technology um that we have right now is that it's a bit of a there's a bit of a falseness to it right the technology mm-hmm. is supposed to keep us connected but it doesn't mm. it doesn't actually keep us emotionally connected or or empathetically connected or connected in any kind of like human sense it's very like pragmatically connected right like i can yeah. reach out to somebody like tangibly make contact with them through <laughs> email social media what have you but at the same time our our systems of like like mental health are deteriorating. We're all feeling lonelier. Like there's all kinds of studies talking about the correlation between these two things, technology and like emotional health. And so, yeah, I, I, I would be so interested in seeing an alternative universe had we gone back and like been inspired by these kinds of organisms, because you're right. It's like, it's not about flash, not basic. It is basic rather. It's not about flash, but the depth and the meaning and the intensity and the mm-hmm. like rationale is like very obvious, you know? Totally. I wonder if we can like maybe talk about like what could it look like if social media spaces today were to change to reflect some of those things? Yeah. Like what do you think that could be like? Yeah. I mean, it's a good question. I think that there's a lot of I think there's a lot of inspiration that social media spaces could take from these systems and if it were to change to look like it now i think that there would be a lot of like multi like maybe more multitudes of conversations happening i think one of the things that's like happening right now is that an algorithm really generate yes your patterns of behavior contribute to these algorithms but an algorithm designed for selling you things is really driving the kinds of like things you're experiencing in your social media um and so i think that though the the systems of slime mold and and a lot of the biological world and microbial world especially they're really it's hard to draw a relationship to like capitalism from those spaces right so i feel like that would change dramatically and that perhaps it would be about 
maybe there would be a, a more distinct relationship between like need and connection. So maybe there would be more opportunity for you if you were a person who like needed resources to be exposed to the means of those resources. Maybe there would be more opportunity for um, like if you were a person who, you know, were like, like, in, in need of like food to feed your family, maybe there would be opportunities inside of the social media web that were like driving resources for food, opportunities to acquire food to your timeline so that you could have what you needed. Maybe it would be based on trying to get everybody their basic needs in some way, shape or form, whether it's like social or like housing related or like food related. Um, that would be really interesting. Like imagine if Instagram was like here to help you get your basic needs, that would be really wild. It's a bit like how slime mold works, right? They're trying yeah. to get all those cells, their basic needs. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, you're saying this and I'm like, well, there's a huge number of people who are trying to use social media and Instagram like that. Yeah. And it the reason true. why it's so difficult is exactly because it wasn't designed to help you exactly. meet those needs, but it was designed yeah. to help the platform meet their needs of selling things and and keeping you scrolling forever and like selling your scroll. data, like understanding who you are as a user selling your data to like other places yeah, yeah. it's so messed up and like so yeah. now i'm wondering like if we were to redesign instagram to be like that see it's because like i've also been kind of like caught up in the patterns of instagram today it's yeah. even hard for me to imagine what that would look like. Would we even, <laughs> would it even be like visually based? Yeah, maybe it wouldn't you know be what visually I mean? based. Yeah, and, and how would we access it? Because maybe it also wouldn't be device based, right? Because our entry point is usually through some kind of screen and maybe it wouldn't even be screen based either. Um, I read this one uh, science fiction story. I can't remember who it was by, um, but it was uh, it was hypothesizing a like social media where you were just sort of like tapping into like pheromones, like kind of like bees exist as like mm. you had no screen. It was like no device, but if you wanted to experience like euphoria or happiness, or maybe you wanted to experience sadness, that you could like open up a new gland and then be exposed to like pheromones that were coming off of other creatures that were happy so that you could tap into that happiness or things yeah. like that. And, like, and if we're going to go so far from like how Instagram already is, I mean, maybe, maybe the answer to your question about what it would look like is, is also screen free is also like a new property of the body that understands like a completely different sense, you know? Yeah. Wow. We should try it. Like, I wonder, <laughs> I wonder how within the existing framework of Instagram. Like how we would test it? Yeah. Yeah. Because like, I noticed, like, I have some friends who like, like, well, every now and then, like remove old photos, all their photos and stuff. Yeah. And then like, I've realized it kind of becomes like, there's something visual, there's something great about seeing someone's face because it like, it gives you this illusion that you're connecting to this person, this specific yeah. person. Yeah. And when that disappears, it, it's like there's a dis, like there's a greater distance between. I don't know if you, if you've experienced this, but yeah. really no distance has changed. Nothing's changed. Yeah. And it's like our minds tricking us. So how could we replace that connection to the visual that makes you feel like you're connected, connecting to this person yeah. with something else? Yeah, that's a great question. Yeah, and I know what you mean. And that's and that's part of the reason why um, we are like, 
that's part of the reason why Instagram can mine so much information from us because we're so used to performing in a very specific kind of way, right? Mm-hmm. That when somebody removes their face from their profile, it feels really foreign or like unidentifiable or like distant, right? Um, which is kind of like a funny thing to note about Instagram's like mechanics all by themselves is that it presumes that faces will be connected to how we identify like mm-hmm. entire profiles as like, people right um but yeah I think uh I I wonder what we would change I wonder what we would replace it with to like test out an idea like this like would it be like sound like maybe they would just be like sound files attached to like blank squares on the profile Maybe, maybe it would be um I mean, maybe, I don't know, like maybe Instagram becomes this like mailing hub where you like learn people's addresses and then send them little like vials of scent. Like, I don't know. I mean, like yes. all it is is like a place where people are like intersecting, then like all kinds of things could come out of that, right? It doesn't have, it wouldn't have to be that the rest of the experience exists on a screen too, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Maybe it could be like the starting point for something bigger, yeah, because you're right. Scent is such a strong uh, sense for emotional connection. Yeah, totally. And memory as well. Yeah, totally, totally. Wow. Yeah, like you know, going back to the whole Instagram thing, like I've noticed even on like um, my podcast page, it's like when I post myself, people yeah. get more excited. Like, and yeah. I'm like, wait, this is so strange. And like at the same time, like. I kind of get it because people want to connect with you as a person, which is great because we're like in the midst of this superficial uh, platform. We're still looking for that human connection in the best way that we can, however fleeting and like not great it is. And so we look for it in that kind of like visual, strong visual connection. Right. Um, But it's like, it's left all of us empty and like, looking for more so I know it's not working clearly no No. and the platform rewards faces too right because that's like part of the data that they're really interested in so I feel like a lot of like social media analysts are also talking about how the algorithm shows your content more to other people if your face is there or if a face is there right so I think you're right I think it's like people get more excited because they want human connection but I also think the algorithm is also preferencing Mm. those posts and making them show up in more people's feeds if like a face is involved as well oh I see so I think it's both things I think both things are very true again like this is where I think that the whole decentralized mechanism of slime mold could like really be powerful because it's not just one actor controlling how we all interact with one another. Right. There's like a certain level of choice. Yeah, I love that. And it reminds me, so one feature I didn't mention about slime mold that feels really meaningful to bring up right now is that the, the organism is special because it can be multicellular and single cellular, which means that when we see it in that big yellow web, that's like a multicellular cluster of slime mold. So slime mold on its own, like each little cell is too small for us to see, but in the effort of trying to get food the fastest, it clusters together and works together to create this intricate web. And so there's something in there metaphorically that feels really meaningful to this conversation too, right? That like if social media was a cluster of 
was not designed by like a capitalist system or like some kind of data mining operation. <laughs> yeah. Um, but was instead the com- like the concerted efforts of like thousands of people who all wanted similar things and wanted to share similar things. Like that feels very slime mold. So instead of us being like out on our own individually, we're like coming together to understand that like the sum of all of our, p- our parts can get us emotional things, like sensorial things, can, like social things mm-hmm. faster, right? So I feel like that feels like very much the way that you're sort of talking about it too. Like, if we were all here for, if we all came together and defined what the re- what the reasons were for being together on that platform, that feels very slime mold too, you know? Yeah, I love that. Like the future is only sustainable if it's collective. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and, and like it, in some ways thinking about shared values because this you're right, like on Instagram, there are so many people who are trying to, get resources to folks and like imagine an entire platform that was like mutually people trying to get resources and people trying to share resources. Like even that feels like, like off Instagram in its own platform on its own space, Mm -hmm. you know, feels like closer to what we're talking about. Yeah. Or maybe technology was never really meant to be like (laughs) this, these things. It's like really the technologies ourselves coming together and, and understanding that our relationships are more than, yeah the mediums through which we experience them yeah right? like it's more so actually yeah. being together and like that that kind of like um mesh of like we are maybe individuals but we're working as one system yeah yeah totally yeah i could i really i really think that that's like right on the on the money i think that there's like a lot about um, technology that has like swayed away around like, you know, electrical, like hardware, software oriented technology that has swayed away from some of the early definitions of technology, which is just like information. (laughs) Like technology's definition is like information from like one system to another. And, and I think like, you know, that information can be Um, like social interaction it can be conversational and I do agree like we kind of started as a human race with just being together and socially organizing how we meet each other's needs right and so um, maybe technology is like interfered with that too far we messed up (laughs) 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 and like the whole thing about like uh, what you just mentioned about like how uh, technology was like perceived as information like I don't know about you, but like the way my memory works, like inform, like I will not retain just pieces of information just yeah. for the sake of it. Yeah. Like, but if I hear like a, a story or like yeah. it's connected to a song or it's like right. a moment in space that you experience something, like we will forever be marked by that. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So even it's failing at actually making information that sticks. Totally. Totally. Yeah. Especially with how much oversaturation there is for information, like the capacity to, I mean, we saw a whole presidency of alternative facts, alternate facts, right? All of these, uh, all of these things, I think, yeah, you're right. It's not, it's not even like, it's not even practical in the way that it's like storing and helping us retrieve information, right? Because it's just all too much. It's actually kind of made me lazy. Like I, I used to memorize phone numbers, birthdays, now I'm just like, I don't, I'm not even going to try. 
<laughs> yeah. yeah, I used to memorize phone numbers and addresses and just have like a generally pretty decent memory for conversations. Like, um, and uh, I used to also have like a really good memory for like, like reading things in textbooks and like recalling them. And now my memory is like, if I don't have it like pinned or bookmarked or saved or like, you know, archived or whatever, my mm-hmm. brain is like, I don't, <laughs> I don't know where any of that is. Like it's totally made people lazy. All right. I just want to take a moment to thank the Real Estate Foundation of BC for sponsoring this episode of Design Unmuted. The Real Estate Foundation of BC is a philanthropic organization working to advance sustainable land use and real estate practices in British Columbia. They do this by funding projects, connecting people, and sharing knowledge. Their grants support not-for-profit organizations working to improve BC communities and natural environments through responsible and informed land use, conservation, and real estate practices. They're particularly interested in land use projects that contribute to the upholding of indigenous rights and title and racial equity and justice. You can learn more at www.refbc.com. Thank you for your support of Design Unmuted. Now let's get back to it. Which is like, what? That wasn't the intent. I hope that wasn't the intention when uh, we developed all these tools because So like we've become so reliant on them that we've diminished our human capacity, like a hu- like a built-in tech yeah. functioning. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Plus, let's not forget all of the ways that studies are investigating, whether social media or even just like emails and connecting in these like very like screen-based ways are diminishing our capacity to be like social in real life. We're seeing that Mm -hmm. a lot in the pandemic, right? Like people having to sort of um, (laughs) like relearn how to be social with one another, but it is like a little, it's almost like a little Petri dish experiment about how like interfere, how the internet and how all these technological systems of communication interfere with our capacity to do that in person, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. We've been scammed. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know where we go from here. That's the question that's always so complicated. Like, where do we go from here? I'm really excited about some of the ways in which people, especially black people, and I'm seeing this a lot in like Asian communities too, by the nature of trying to keep their communities safe, largely for mutual reasons from like police operating institutions. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm really excited about how people of color are building their own technologies. Like there's a couple of new social media platforms coming out. There's a couple of like new, um, there's there's, like people who are trying to build their own like search engines that are just attempting to get away from all of the um, like overarching capitalist structures, the structures that are also like trying to like keep tabs about everybody's data at every point Mm -hmm. in time. And I think that stuff is real. I don't know if we'll ever get to a place where like we are using those technologies on a regular basis, but I'm excited about the like, you know, ripple effect of that um, being a place to explore what it even looks like as a test, just like you said, to experience life outside of like everything that's owned by meta, you know? Totally. I, I mean, I think like as much crap I just spoke about about this whole thing, I think for like 
like especially black communities, there's so much potential for us. Yeah. I mean, historically, we've always been able to take things that have worked against us and like kind of like subverted 100%. them to serve yeah. us and then essentially make it better and then inform yes. the future of those things. And like, I think one thing that I would say where the centralization of like data could help all of us is because um, we've like our histories have been so uh, fractured and, yeah. and like we've all been so oppressed that that could be a good thing to have like centralized access yeah. to information about yeah. like historical practices that were taken yeah. from us that were lost and like artifacts yeah. that were stolen like that mm -hmm. like that can serve us specifically because of the the, the way that we've been left out and yeah. that we just need to actually come together and look our our communities have also been fragmented yeah yeah right yeah yeah, you're right. And like uh, new, you know, not 23andMe, but like new information about ancestry too, because a lot of our, a lot of us have like breaks in our ancestral understanding because of like the transatlantic slave trade or just document destruction. Like so mm -hmm. many, so many Canadians, like a lot of lesser known stories about Canadians, but like a lot of black Canadians, um, they're like, homes were burnt down by like KKK or other racist entities in Canada. And like all of, in all of those ways, like your documentation and your understanding of like who your ancestral line, like sometimes lies in paperwork, you know, like yeah. that's, that's the privilege of like white people is that paperwork has always been so preserved, whether it's about land, whether it's about ancestry, whether it's about banks uh, and like, you know, financial, um, financial means. And so I completely agree. Like those things, really benefit from an opportunity to feel connected and to have like a, a like a, a, a archive, like a resource to like tap into, to get connected to the things that were taken from us. I think, I, I think you're right. And also to like feel um, socially connected to people as a diasporic mm. community, like we're everywhere. Right. And so sometimes that means you're in places where you don't see a lot of people who look like you. And yeah. so those those properties of like social media or centralized systems can really help people feel less alone you know totally. um or and even less alone in other ways too like career-based ways like I was just having a conversation with somebody yesterday um a friend of mine who's black who is in the medical field who grew up knowing nobody who was black in the medical field except for the mm. people that she knew on tumblr <laughs> <laughs> she was like, yeah, I like found myself on Tumblr. Like I was like, oh look, here are some black like people in med school. Like, okay, cool. That could that could be me. They exist. That means I could exist, you know? And so yeah, so there's lots of there's lots of like super meaningful, like anti-colonial benefits from being connected in this way, right? Like um mm -hmm. reclamation of our like selves and our capacity, you know. Totally, 100%. And like, even that I'm thinking, yeah, we still need to build our own platforms because it's like, yep, you go on Pinterest and you, everything you type for black people, for black wood, for black hair. And it's just like, because we are never thought of as like a the norm. community that needs to be served. Like you have to be so intentional in like digging those things out. Yeah. And I wonder, yo, I would just wonder what it would be like to exist in a world where like you type in and you don't have to be precise and the thing that comes is for you. Oh my God. Yeah, oh my God, I completely agree. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think that like, yeah, just even, 
experiencing that for a little bit, I think, be, build so much internal resilience as well, right? Because I think, you know, and this is a benefit from, like, living in, like, predominantly Black communities or, like, spend, or even just, like, smaller things, like spending your time in, like, Black Twitter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you feel normalized, right? You feel oh, normalized. Yeah. And so having, like, platforms that are for Black people, I think, can build up so much internal confidence, so much like, 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 you know, social network, but also just like resilience because you are then able to draw on that when you're like going out into the world and you're like not the default. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 100%. And I actually also wanted to ask you because you teach coding to uh, a lot of like young people and like, for me, coding is something that's always kind of seemed like, wow, this looks so hard. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, what am I looking at? Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm wondering what in this conversation, as we're talking about the future and how to make some of these spaces more inclusive and like actually better serve communities. Yeah. Like what is someone like myself missing out from not knowing how to code? And like, maybe if you can even start with like explaining what really coding is. Yeah, I mean, that's a really good question. That's not the question I expect you to ask me. Um, that's a really <laughs> good question. Usually it's like, where do I start if I want to code? Like, that's the question I get a lot. But I love the question, like, what am I missing out on by not coding? So I love that question. We'll come back to that. So coding as a just a general definition, I mean, these days it comes in lots of different shapes and forms. But it's essentially creating a set of instructions for the computer to use to execute And this part is like a fill in the blank. So sometimes people use coding to be able to design websites. Some people are using coding to be able to like parse data. Um, Some people Mm -hmm. are using coding to be able to create computer graphics and like, um, you know, data visualizations, like artistic Mm -hmm. practices. There's a lot of people using coding to create robotic entities because it's programming the like movements and like decision-making patterns of like limbs of like a robot or, or even using coding to determine um, uh, neural networks to design mm-hmm. neural networks to, pr- to create like predictions of um, um, like actions or like, you know, to um, take a look at systems to find out what patterns of behavior look like. So at the end of the day, like coding is very much at its simplest form, not too different than like, what you would do if you opened up like a Google doc to type into it. (laughs) It's just Mm -hmm. that instead of using like sentence structures, as we know in the English language, you're using like short keys and you're using like code word, like, you know, um, syntax, which is like basically a bunch of words that mean other words or a bunch of letters and numbers that mean other things. And all of that is like a language between you and the computer, you and a technological device to like create an action. Mm -hmm. So Almost everything that we use today is driven by code, which is like really wild. Your traffic light systems, when you drive up to a stoplight, and whether that stoplight is like red or green or yellow is often driven by like coding algorithms that are like trying to create a system of traffic that makes sense so that the right streets right. are stopped and the right streets are going at, at certain times. Like when we open up our phone, like if I have my phone and I like put my thumb on the button to be able mm-hmm. to unlock it, that's a system that's looking at your thumbprint to uh, analyze whether it compares. All of that is code. Right. So, so in a lot of ways, coding is like all around us bank systems, um, even like uh, designs for like housing, um, like housing design, which I'm sure you know also sometimes can be like 
algorithmically calculated to make sure yeah. that walls are straight and foundations are, are structurally sound and things of that nature. Um, so that's like a really long definition of coding. <laughs> yeah. A, it's like a, a instructions you give a, a computational system and B, it's really all around us. And mm-hmm. so those, those things I think make for a lot of pressure to get into code. <laughs> but uh, because you're like, oh, wow, like ev- so much around me is driven by code. Like, I wonder if I should code too, which leads me to your question, which I love. Like, what am I missing out by not coding? <sighs> so for a lot of my career, I thought and really de- deeply believe, like holistically, earnestly, that like everyone should really know how to code. And these days I feel really different about it because... I feel like a lot of the problems we are in today is because of um, coders. <laughs> and like, oh, really? Yeah, because of decisions that people have made about our society that are, um, you know, really entrenched in bias that continue to like leave people out. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, to me, when I talk with other coders about, like, the historical ways in which we've gotten to this, like, point in time where, like, systemic racism is still a problem and, like, even the patterns of the way that we interact online are also, like, just drenched in systemic racism, like, all of these stories that come out around, like, people who are trying to buy houses on, like, Zillow or Facebook and because the platform you're on knows that you're Black, they're not showing you houses in particular neighborhoods. Like there's all kinds, there's just so much there. I just feel like we really missed the boat in the last like three or four decades of teaching people how to code because we also, we didn't couple it with teaching them about like humanities or like social, um, social justice. Sure. But like the, so the, the like social structure of how um, like human history has become what it is, right? So we're just like now taking all of our head, like our biases in our head and we're like building them into coding structures that actually affect people. So one one way to think about, uh, so I don't feel like everyone should learn how to code anymore, <laughs> but one way to think about like, what am I missing? I mean, it's more of a question is, of like, what is the, what is like your society missing by not having your voice in there? Because you divine come with all of this incredible, like intentionality around how to build systems for everybody. Right. And and also build systems for black people. And so that kind of intentionality is very much missing from the world of code, (laughs) not missing from everywhere in code, but definitely missing from like a lot of code systems. So I think, I think there's like a lot of uh, people's, creative practice, um, psychological practice, like social justice oriented practice, um, could really help influence how coding goes from like the kind of like shit show that it is right now to a place that is like hopefully being called out for all of its problematic bias. Right. We're seeing a lot of like Google technologists who are black women, almost exclude, uh, uh, you know, almost predominantly calling out calling out big platforms for having all of these like gross biases. So that's like one thing in terms of like, what are you missing? (laughs) (laughs) Like the genre of code is like missing you because of your incredible ideas, but what are you missing from it? I mean, I don't know. I think, I I don't know if, uh, if, if like, if, I don't know if like it's necessary. I mean, I think coding has also been platformed as like such a special, like, elitist skill but like there are all kinds of other skills that are so important too right there's like Mm -hmm. 
um, all of the work that you do already, I think is like just as important um, as like and impactful. So like, I, I, I just like, I, I'm not out here anymore being like, <laughs> everyone needs to know. And it's like this thing that everybody needs to do. I think that um, it, sh- it should be like a little bit de-glamorized, you know, because right. it needs to get mixed up with all of the other professions. It needs to get mixed up. Like tech companies should have people who have like humanities backgrounds and like people who work in like, um, social work, working at tech right. to make sure that we're not like intentionally excluding or creating more class barriers, right? It needs to get mixed up with mm-hmm. people. Like, we're seeing the world of coding get mixed up with artists a lot these days, which is really cool. But like, we need to like continue to, we need politicians and like, you know, people working in like social services and people working in like, you know, architectural mm-hmm. structures like mixed into these teams of coders because, because of coding's influence, it means people who are thinking and trained from other perspectives, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's that's uh, great. Like the, when you said like it's the intention of the people who engage with the coding that really yeah. that's where the necessity is. Yeah. Um, no, you're totally right because otherwise we're just reinforcing the same structures that we are, yeah. that are failing us, right? Exactly. And for a while it was like, most of code, most of coders who had influence were like white and male. So for a while, especially in the early 2000s, and I was like a big part of this movement in Toronto, the emphasis was like, okay, if most of the problems are coming from code and most of the code is by white men, then we just need to get more women and more people of color into the coding world. And so we like, I feel like myself, plus like, like thousands of other influential people were just pipelining people of color and women into the mm-hmm. coding world. But um, Reshma Jihani, she's this woman who founded Girls Who Code in um, the U.S. Huge, mm. huge organization that is just like training young women to have coding skills that transfer directly into companies. Mm. Um, she was training up all these women and then all of these women were having a hard time getting jobs at tech companies still after all of this training. So she changed her rationale. I heard her talk about this and I was like, oh my God, this is exactly it. This is exactly the problem. Mm. So then she changed her rationale and started working with um, executives at Facebook, at Twitter, at Google to help design the curriculum to say, okay, you tell me exactly what kind of job skill is needed and I will train a hundred thousand girls to have that job skill so that it's just like taking all of these people and putting them right in your jobs, problem solve. The tech industry is more influenced and more, more considered mm-hmm. from this headspace. And still these women were not getting jobs. So the problem isn't about skill. It's about sexism. It's about racism. It's about exclusivity. So it's right. really interesting, right? So it's like, so anyways, those kind of things really helped me change my tune from like, Let's get as many people in technology as possible to saying, again, like, this is about systemic issues. We need to, like, build in systems that require us to interact with people who are trained to consider these systemic issues, you know? Totally. And I think that, like, that whole question goes back to the question of all times, like, can you dismantle the the master's house with their tools or, you know, and it's... uh, It's a, it's a really, it's a, it's a big one because even like putting, putting people who bring different ideas within structures that like within a framework that was built with a different value system, with different goals, like how far can you really take it? Right. Like do we need to build like new, new sets of platforms, but then you have like all the pressures of like 
can this survive because can people sustain it financially like on all those things and it's like then you fall right back into you building a thing so that yeah yeah, it's but but you know what like I don't know like my ancestors had other ways of like sharing wealth so that things could could be sustained and like you know my um like I have friends who have like um um uh, gone in backgrounds and they have different ways of like financially sustaining their systems. Maybe it is also a matter of rethinking how we sustain platforms, period. You know, maybe it's like, maybe instead of it all just trying to be for profit, maybe alternative systems built by black people are like timeshares where we all contribute a little bit to like maintaining the platform. Or maybe mm-hmm. it's like, you know, um, <laughs> I used to have this friend where whose uh, who's parents were, um, Jamaican, I mean, my, my one, pa- half of my family history is Jamaican too. Um, and they had this like pitch in system where like all of the aunts and uncles like pitched in like a hundred bucks. And then each month, a different aunt or uncle got to like use the whole pool. So you waited for your turn to use the whole pool of funds. And that's how you paid for things that month. Yeah. And so, you know, I think what about, what about some of these other methods of like wealth? What about some of these other methods of like contributing to the maintenance of things that aren't just like, we sell you stuff, we profit from that data, we maintain mm-hmm. our platform. Maybe it just requires like another way of thinking that we just haven't seen. Oh, in, 100%. We like just really haven't. It's like very, these are like very black ways of considering like sustaining communities. Um, we haven't seen, like that's not how Instagram makes money to sustain itself. That's not how like Facebook makes money to sustain it. But maybe maybe a new platform requires like a new method, you know? Yeah, definitely. I, I think a lot of those systems are already in place. Yeah, they're just not um, as like kind of like mainstream as the kind of like yeah. the, the dominant systems, right? Because like the yeah. the kind of like the, the monthly money collecting thing, like we have, yeah. I like I've I like I I know a lot of people in my community who do that, and Me it's too. like in a lot of African countries where like the formal banking systems don't really exist because exactly of, like, that's how that that's is, how, that is how we yeah that's yeah. how it's done, and like yeah. it's good for like social reciprocity it's like yeah. you don't get into the crazy thing about like interest rates like debt becomes a social uh like a, a like a like a process for building social relations because you have yes. to maintain those relationships and like you exactly. have to build trust and you have to be in community and so it's like exactly even like the way debt is defined becomes completely different right and exactly so, so what is there about those systems that is you know, ripe for becoming inspired to take into social platforms that we build ourselves, you know, Um, like in terms of like sustaining and maintaining new systems, we just really don't have to do it the same way that these like other orgs that we've seen come before do it. You know, it could be different. I saw a really um, interesting, like really small, small example, there was like this group of young coders that I I was part of like a network of teachers helping these young coders, these like high school girls figure out how to build like a little texting system, like an MSN kind of thing. Mm. And so they like each had like a day of the week where it was like their job to like go and like fix the bugs and like do some like coding repair and like figure it all out. And they had this tiny little group of 10 of them that could use this like system they made from scratch to communicate with each other without using their like parents' phone plan. Some of them didn't have cell phones, you know, (laughs) they weren't, they weren't allowed to like use, um, like major social media platforms at school, but they could use this thing. And so it was like really sweet to see, but it's a great example of how like 
I don't know. I think we've become very conditioned to like be the next Instagram or like the next Twitter or the next. And I think that really is building upon systems that are already broken, but there could be new systems entirely that are drawing inspiration from how we interact, how like a lot of black cultures interact outside of the major relations with institutions, like, like the way we're talking about like money without interest rates and like, you know, social relations as a component of how we maintain these spaces and how we like continue to operate in spaces of care, you know? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, yeah. thank you so much for like such an inspiring conversation. I really like, I think I've really been changed by like hearing you speak about oh. slime mold. Like really, um, I've never really thought about kind of like microbiological things as, uh, as teaching us about how to do social systems, social care. Mm-hmm. And now I'm like, I can't wait to like pick up a book. Oh. Honestly, like, and and it's like, I feel like I've, I'm always looking for ways to inspire my kind of like design and art practice from either ancestral knowledge or rituals, but I could be really, I think this is a great um, way to learn as well. And like, my sister always tells me, you know, mushrooms are ancestors, are our ancestors. Yeah. Like, there's something there. There's something there that like you've sparked in me. And I really, I really appreciate, I really appreciate you for that. And I'm sure you've inspired so many more people. Oh. So thank you. Oh my gosh, divine. That's so sweet. I love that. You just like made my whole week. <laughs> like, it's just, like, I love that you're doing this. Like I really, really do. It's uh, and, and because, Slime mold like kind of like frees us from like all the kind of like societal racial barriers. It's like it is what it is. It's yeah, just, yeah. People yeah. can be like, oh, but that's like a it's a, it's from a specific culture, therefore we don't want to interact with it. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And totally. like, I, yeah, totally. Well, I'm just like so grateful that you asked me to come and talk to you. This has been like one of my favorite conversations so far. I usually oh. get like the same questions over and over again. Even that question about technology, about coding, I was like, I was like surprised. That was the, that was the question that you were, you know, landing on. It's so refreshing to have like some new conversations around these things that are beyond the sort of like basics of like, yeah, just like, there's just a lot of, it's just like, there were a lot of questions that I'm going to keep ruminating on. So I like really appreciate having this like hour to hang out with you. Oh, thank you so much. And I, I would love to do follow-up conversations and, yeah, and yeah. do that because I think, I think this is a conversation that we kind of started of kind of like thinking of new ways of imagining things, but obviously because we're doing it right in real time, I'm sure like there's going to be things that that come yeah. and like I would love to revisit this conversation again. Yeah, yeah, that would be so great. And I'm just like so excited by the way that you think because it just feels so connected to some of the other like technological creatives or bio creatives. I would love maybe we should have like a group conversation one day because there are so many other folks that I feel like are really, really into this exact kind of framing that you're presenting for the conversation that you've designed today. So I feel like people would be really into it. Oh my gosh, let's do it because that was the whole thing about starting this podcast. I'm like, I want to connect people and like just have really good, interesting conversations that like leave us like inspired in like ways yeah. that makes us want to do either really fun things or good things or like, yeah. you know. Or just decide that there are things we aren't doing anymore. Because that's I, I, also 100%. great. 100%. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's like, let's be changed yeah. in some ways that is better for all of us. 
Totally. Totally. Well, thank you for all of this work. I'm so thrilled to be a part of your podcast. Like, it's just been so lovely. Oh, cool. thank you for being yeah. a guest. I really appreciate you. And I, I want to commend you on all the work that you're doing. It's you. so great. Thank, thank you, you so much. Thank you. Well, I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Design Unmuted podcast brought to you by Divine. If you liked what you heard, please rate and tell your friends about it. You can subscribe so you never miss an episode. Find me on Instagram at Ramesha Design Unmuted and also on my website at www.rameshadesign.com. The track you're hearing is called Under the Sun by Kafaye, singer-songwriter and produced by Ozenit or Zenith by Kiga and Sanjan. Enjoy.